These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In that day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it was the one that flowed around the whole land of Hevilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and Oxstone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature was its name. The man gave, the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found to be a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, to his, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thanks, Darren. Um, well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Joe, and uh, I'm an intern here at uh, High Wycombe, and it's my privilege to be uh, preaching for you all this morning. Um, yeah, last time I stood before you all and preached, it was on the first page of your Bibles. Uh, now we're on page two. Uh, <laughs> last time, though, we saw that God uh, is authoritative and that his authority was plain to see and that he literally spoke things into existence. We also saw that God uh, is orderly uh, and we saw this by looking at how he created the world by separating things uh, from other things, uh, and we, this, we also saw a hierarchical order within this creation, and it's as follows. God, who sits above his creation, outside of time and space, sustaining it, uh, man as authoritative 
uh, over creation in subduing it, uh, then animals, then plants. We also looked at three of the biggest social movements uh, of our time, uh, that being the pro-abortion movement, transgenderism, and extreme uh, environmentalism. We saw how they collide directly against God's order, and so naturally, uh, the truth is viewed as controversial now. This morning, we're going to continue uh, in this controversy. Uh, by that, I mean we're going to uh, study truth. So join with me in prayer as we uh, prepare our hearts to receive it. Uh, dear God, please uh, may I preach the truth this morning by your grace, and may we be receptive of it by your grace. Uh, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, says verse 4 of the second chapter. Uh, well, I thought we already covered that last time. Uh, you may be thinking, uh, well, okay, let's, let's keep reading. Uh, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heaven. So, uh, although uh, we have now been introduced to God's uh, personal name, Yahweh, which is uh, what the capital uh, L-O-R-D is referring to, uh, we are still dealing with the same God, uh, but perhaps on a more personal uh, level now. Uh, verse 5. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not set rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Okay, so... Uh, now we see that there are particular plants in view here, uh, plants of the field which are heavily reliant on rainfall and, and humans to cultivate it. Uh, cultivation, rainfall, and um, plants of the field. Uh, this may be uh, a new thought for you, but uh, I think we're dealing with agriculture here. Uh, keep in mind, this is written by Moses, uh, and in his time, Farming was well and truly being practiced. Moses would have been writing this in retrospect, divinely inspired retrospect. And here he is writing about the state of the world prior to agriculture. And just like uh, any good farmer would do, uh, I'm trying to avoid the weeds here, but you may as feel as I've just dived headlong straight into them. Uh, however, uh, this is important to understand because at first glance, this may appear to be going back to day three in creation when God caused vegetation to sprout from the land. This, of course, uh, would mess up the order of creation if man was then to be made. But this isn't talking about all vegetation in a general sense. No, it is simply uh, stating that agriculture, as Moses uh, would have put it, you know those plants in the field uh, that require a lot of rain and manpower to cultivate it uh, was not a thing uh, back then. This will become more apparent as we go, uh, but I believe it is clear that uh, this, uh, this is in within day six of creation. So here is the state of the world. There is no farming and no rain, but instead a mist that came from the ground and watered the surface. Uh, I think this mist could be referring to either fog, dew, or both. But the scene is now set uh, for what is about to come. 
what is about to come is the answer to our preliminary question, uh, didn't we already cover this? Uh, read verses 7 and 8 with me. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God uh, planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is what our account is about. We are now zooming in on day six of creation. We're getting a closer look into Yahweh's personal making of mankind as he directly breathes into the nostrils of Adam to give him life. This second account of creation is not a conflicting or contradictory account. No, this is a complementary account. We get more evidence of this as we read of the details on both man and a man and a garden. Uh, so let's take a look at each one of those uh, now. Uh, well, before I started studying at Trinity, uh, I myself was a gardener and, and a landscaper, and I did that for approximately uh, five years. Uh, in that time, I worked on many different gardens. Uh, some you would hardly call gardens. Others were quite beautiful. I had the pleasure of trimming hedges to absolute perfection, uh, caring for manicured lawns, uh, and pruning dead roses to leave behind a bush full of uh, beautiful uh, colours. Uh, it takes a long time, a lot of time, and a lot of effort to uh, have a garden like this, and the results speak for themselves. I'm sure most of you here have probably seen a garden like this before. Uh, but now imagine a garden planted by the creator of plants. Not only that, but the creator of the sun, water, and nutrients that allow these plants to grow. The very source of life himself planted this garden and wouldn't, have, wouldn't it have been marvellous? The following verses confirm this. God caused uh, every tree that is not only pleasing to the sight, but also good for food. He also makes two trees and four rivers. The tree of life, which we find out later, is their source of eternal life. And the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, which we also find out later, is forbidden for them to eat from. Uh, the four rivers spoken of, uh, Pishon, Gihon, uh, Tigris, and Euphrates, um, well, these are interesting because people have tried to use these uh, to, to figure out uh, exactly where the garden uh, would have been. Uh, if you want to do some treasure hunting uh, for some gold, uh, bdellium, and onyx uh, in the land of Havila, uh, be my guest. Uh, just bring back some for the rest of us. Uh, but, but this is not the significance of why we are told about the rivers. Well, what is the significance then? Well, why well, I don't think it's a, a treasure map. Uh, what I do think is that it shows that the garden was in a real geographical location. The garden is not a myth. It was a real location. I mean, we believe in a book that contains miraculous events, giants, men with super strength, people who practice witchcraft, angels, and demons. Sounds like the best adventure story uh, ever told, if you ask me. Uh, but why is it so hard for us to accept the legitimacy of a garden? Notice also that the rivers are flowing out of the garden, not through, uh, not around, uh, but 
not into even, but from the garden. The garden is quite literally an oasis, a hotspot of life, a place that God made particularly for mankind to enjoy. In verse 15, God puts the man in the garden to cultivate it. Uh, Interestingly, we get that word again, cultivate, or, or literally to work. I believe this cultivation is different to what we saw earlier with that agricultural form. Uh, Here, I think this has more to do with gardening, gardening in what would have been in a perfect garden, uh, but with trees, uh, full of trees pleasing to the eye and good for food. Adam did not need to cultivate a field. Uh, He didn't need to grow crops in order to access food. Uh, The food was readily available. Uh, but, but let's take a moment to realize what we just read. We just read that Adam had to work in the garden. So you mean to say that in a perfect world without sin, created by a perfect God, there was work? Maybe, maybe that's the way you feel right now. You've got to work five days a week. You can't wait for the weekend, but even then on Saturday you have a bunch of things to get done. So you badly crave the next holiday. Not only this, but maybe your work makes you physically and mentally tired. Perhaps your boss uh, does, is not very caring or appreciative. And what's more is all the conservative social uh, and political uh, commentators you listen to just say, welcome to the real world, honey. <laughs> but all of this uh, can leave one helpless and hopeless. So how does work sneak its way into the garden? Well, I think the Bible actually has more to say than just, welcome to the real world, honey. Uh, Work is not in the garden as something that taints it, but actually it's something there as an essential part of it. Work is inherently good. Let me repeat that. Work is inherently good. Because God is the one who placed Adam in the garden to do that very thing. It comes from God himself, therefore it must be good. So work does not sneak its way into the garden, but actually it is an integral part of it. So work does not taint our experience in this life, but work itself is actually tainted uh, by sin, our sin. And this is not a motivational talk on how to be more productive and and happier at work, uh, but I do believe... Uh, that if you, at the very least, uh, have this as part of your mindset, you will not only not view work as a, a necessary evil, but you may actually enjoy it, knowing that it is from that is for the glory of God and will, in fact, bear eternal reward. Well, uh, we're going to switch gear uh, slightly now. Uh, and if you were to invent something totally new that revolutionized the world forever... Would you be the one? Would you want to be the one to get to name your invention? Or if you were to start a business, wouldn't you want to have sole rights of the name of your company? I think our instincts tell us yes, because the inventor has authority over his invention, and the business owner has authority over his business. Interestingly, though, uh, God gives this privilege to Adam. God created all the animals. Sorry. Uh, 
God created all the animals, and yet he gives Adam the responsibility to name them. So Adam's task in subduing the earth is not just to keep the garden, uh, but to carry it out in the naming of the animals too. Uh, This is in direct reflection of God's naming that we saw last time. Because God named the light day, the darkness night, the dry land earth, and so on. This is God's authority over his creation on display. So why does Adam get to do this with the animals then? Well, it's simple. Because God gave him that authority. It is actually commanded of him to rule over creation in chapter 1. Moreover, all authority is only ever given by God. We must remember that God is the source of authority. And his sovereignty is still at work even when the ruling authorities are evil tyrants. So here's the scene so far. God has created the heavens and the earth. There is no rainfall, but instead of fog or dew that waters the surface, there is no farming for food like we have today, and there is a particular location on this earth where God has planted a garden full of all kinds of beautiful trees, and a man has been placed in this garden with the role of keeping it, as well as naming the animals. Well, I don't know if this is the same for all of you, uh, but when Jem and I are trying to decide on a movie, uh, often we end up with uh, dozens of options, each of us both exclaiming that we don't mind what we want to watch, but we are both uh, aware that there are particular genres that don't interest each of us. In particular, I'm not the slightest bit interested in in romantic comedies. (laughs) Uh, And Jem's not really interested in the -the over-the-top action movies. However, sometimes I I manage to convince Jem uh, of my movie choice by telling her that there is romance uh, somewhere in all of those transforming cars, fighting other transforming cars. But anyway, this is all just to say, ladies, you can now pay attention because this is the scene where the love interest enters the scene. And in my opinion, what we see is true romance. Adam is essentially the last man on earth. But in reverse, he's the first and only man. There is no hope of procreation. There is no partner for him. But God, the gracious, loving God that he is, provides for him. A helper. Uh, Remember how uh, we established that God's words are authoritative and that he can create things uh, from not even thin air with his voice? Well, in his own words here, he says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So what happens next? God does exactly that. He makes a woman from the rib of Adam. So what we see is Adam and Eve, they share DNA, human DNA, not ape DNA, not banana DNA, uh, but human DNA. God has placed special attention on humanity over their animals because we are made in his image, both male and females alike. And this is confirmed by Adam's words in the following uh, section in what could be described as the very first wedding vows. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
real smooth there, Adam. Uh, but, it, but in all seriousness, uh, this is again what I believe to be real romance. Because we see both the equality and inequality of the genders. What do I mean by this? Uh, I mean that the fact that they are both humans, they share uh, that DNA, they're, they're both image bearers of God, perfectly equal in value. But notice how Adam, again, gets the responsibility of naming Eve. He calls her woman, the female equivalent to man. As much as, that, as they are equal in value, there is an order of authority here. Remember, God himself expresses his authority in naming his creation. This authority is bestowed upon Adam uh, in him naming all the animals, and then this is continued in the naming of Eve. If you think I'm clutching at straws here, then I ask, did you notice the two other ways in which we have already seen this order of authority? Uh, first, God refers uh, to the woman as a helper to Adam. And by the way, this does not mean a lower-class citizen or anything like that. And the second thing uh, was the very fact that she was taken out of man. She was literally fashioned out of man. Man came first. Our problem with the idea of hierarchy within the genders often stems from other underlying priests' uh, perceptions. And I ask you this. Who is more important or valuable to society? A CEO of a company with a large uh, corner office or the janitor who cleans the toilet? The world would tell us that it's the CEO, of course, uh, but that's the exact mindset that would make you feel icky if you were to transfer that over to gender roles. See, the truth is the CEO is no more valuable than the cleaner, and Adam is no more valuable than Eve. It's a conflation of role versus value that leaves the bitter taste of hierarchy in our mouths. Verse 24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we see that this is specifically in the context of marriage. Uh, there are general principles uh, on gender that stem from, from this, but uh, today, we're just going to stick uh, with marriage. Uh, so it's not that every woman must submit to every man. Rather, it is, it is that man has authority over his wife. We also read, and they were, they were both naked and not ashamed. There was no problem with this system. Remember, in chapter 1, at the end, after day six, God saw that his creation had transcended from good to very good. So this male-female relationship with distinctive roles is, again, not a necessary evil, but actually comes part of the recipe. So all is good and well in the Garden of Eden, but does this order still have any bearing on us today? In our, in our fallen world? I mean, what's to stop it from being abused? Well, I think the New Testament can help us out here. Ephesians 5.31 uh, actually quotes Genesis 2.24, and the application of this is that women are to be subject to their husbands, and that men are to lay down their lives 
for their wives. And this is in reflection of Christ and the church. Christ, the head of the church, sacrificed himself to pay for the sin of all those who trust in him, i.e. the church. In turn, the church, Christ's bride, is to follow him and be nourished by him. So amazingly, uh, this model uh, that we see uh, in in Genesis uh, 2 uh, from 6,000 years ago, in a perfect world, uh, actually uh, comes out uh, in Jesus Christ. So in one passage alone, I believe uh, that we see not just clear evidence of... of uh, Sorry, I've lost my spot. I believe that we see not just clear evidence, uh, but also inspiring beautiful ramifications that apply to us today. There are also many other Genesis 2 and 3 quotations and allusions in the New Testament, uh, all chiming the same tone. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Colossians 3, 18 to 19, and 1 Peter 3, uh, just to name a few. Now uh, we have covered that the master of creation's uh, graciousness and love in making of man, providing for him a beautiful and abundant garden to keep and enjoy. Uh, This man was also given authority over the animals as well uh, as his helpmate, which God also provided for him. However, there are two things that we have skipped over this morning, uh, and they are hidden in the details of our passage rather than being uh, part of the bulk of our, our text this morning. But they, uh, they're of great uh, importance and value for us to consider. Uh, the first is part of the prohibition for man not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, we did mention the prohibition, but what we didn't note uh, was the warning, or you will surely die. Now, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but it's hardly a spoiler that they fail at keeping this command. I believe that they failed at this command because the order of creation was literally reversed. Instead of God, man, woman, and animals, it became animals, woman, God, uh, man, then God, sorry. Satan, in the form of a serpent, was the instigator. He tempted a woman to eat, And then she gave it to man uh, to eat. Meanwhile, God is not consulted at all. They act out of order, completely by their own fruition. The reversal and twisting of the male-female relationship is very much manifest in our world today. Feminists seek to place themselves in roles of authority, again built off a false view of worth and value, Transgenderism seeks to remove gender as a biological reality. Side note, it's interesting uh, how the world is also trying to turn a non-binary thing, that being the pigmentation of your skin, into a binary thing, black versus white. Uh, Then they're also trying to turn a binary thing, male and female, into a non-binary thing, into a spectrum. The whole thing is completely mixed up. But God's order is the only order. All others are just twistings and distor- distortions. 
As much uh, as, as transgenderism has been influential, I actually think feminism has made much more of a mark on the church today. It has well and truly planted a flag and is plaguing even some conservative and reformed churches. We must take care because this reversal is what got us into this mess. We need men to stand up. But you see, Adam himself was present when Eve ate of the fruit. He was passive. He was idle. He was standing by as she was tempted. He didn't stand between her and the one seeking to kill her. He did not lay down his life for her. He did not protect her. This is why work is a drag sometimes. This is why we are... Uh, this is why there's pain and suffering. This is why everyone in this room will die someday. And this is why we are dead in our sins unless we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, if, if we stand up as men of God, we'll, we'll be touted as uh, being toxic in our masculinity. Men and women too, don't be fooled by Satan's trickery. Don't cave into the world. Let them fling insults. It will come uh, even from other so-called so believers. But Jesus was the manliest man in the world. He gave no quarter to Satan and the religious elite of the time, but instead spoke the truth boldly, and he was hated for it. Oh, now, uh, for the other thing that we skimmed over... Um, Let's consider our origins again for a moment. Uh, there are many autobiographies out there that uh, tend to emphasize their humble beginnings before they became the, the greatness that they are today. Uh, but it was in verse 7 that we read that God made Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. Uh, well, it doesn't get any more humbling than knowing that our beginnings literally come from dust. To put this into perspective, here's a reminder of who God is in the story. God is uh, the one literally outside of time and space. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the active party in all of this. He created us. He made the garden. He made Adam, giving him the breath of life. He brought the animals to him and gave him authority over the creation. He put Adam to sleep and he made a woman from his rib and gave her to him as his helper. And, and what about us? Uh, well, we contribute nothing to our creation too. We owe all to him. Every single inhale and exhale is from the Lord God. God intricately crafted our respiratory system with the ability to filter out the very dust that we, our fathers and our grandfathers are made from. And we think that uh, we know better. That is the attitude assumed at the fall. That is the attitude assumed every time we sin against God. We think that we know better. And uh, at Christmas, uh, we celebrate the coming of Christ. That's why we have all these decorations uh, behind me. Uh, but when God came down to his creation, he had every right to descend down in a, as a glorious king with a mighty, mighty host of angelic beings 
robed in utter glory, crowned with a crown Solomon could only have dreamed of. Instead, this master of the universe became dust. He became like his own creation, the likeness of man. And not as a mighty, wealthy uh, king with earthly authority, but as an infant born into a peasant family. The innkeepers couldn't even find a room for him. So he was born in a stable uh, among the animals, the creatures that are even lower than us. This child lived a life and grew up, and at the age of 33, uh, he faced a kangaroo court on botched-up charges. He was innocent of all crimes, yet faced the harshest criminal's death. The Roman torture and execution method, crucifixion. Uh, And this was no ordinary false accusation and trial, however. Uh, Not only was he innocent of of the crime, uh, but he was innocent of all wrongdoing. He lived a morally perfect life. And this was also no ordinary false execution because this was no mere man. His father holds the universe on the palm of his hand. This was the creator of all things, hanging on a wooden cross. This was no ordinary false execution because Jesus knew this was coming and he went anyway voluntarily and accepted it. Because this was the plan since the beginning of all time. This was the plan since before anything we've looked at this morning in Genesis 2. And this was no ordinary death because it was the sacrifice of the Son of God bearing the wrath of God instead of us. Earlier, uh, I stated that we contribute nothing to our creation, but there is one thing we create, uh, and that is sin. The first sin in the Bible uh, took place uh, because of this reversal of gender roles. Gender roles can seem uncool, uh, monotonous, and perhaps not very important. Just one of those uh, second tier or third tier things, you know. Uh, But remember that Christ went to the cross for this. Christ bled and died for you. Uh, He saved a people for himself, making them his bride. The least we can do is value that enough to reflect it in how we relate to one another. Well, as the saying goes, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But Jesus didn't stay as dust uh, after he had died. He rose uh, on the third day and ascended into heaven. And he ascended in a glorified body. The Bible tells us that from dust we're formed and to dust we will return. This is true. The rate of death in Australia is 100%. So all of us here will die and one day be buried in the ground. A morbid but an unavoidable fact of life. The Bible also tells us that, uh, that though one day we, that also, sorry, we too can be raised from the dead, just like Jesus. First, though, we must be made alive now in Christ. We not only contribute nothing. Uh, to creation but we also contribute nothing to salvation this means that Christ's spirit needs to dwell in you Christ's spirit is is what allows one to repent of their sin they're putting their self above God their pridefulness and passivity 
Christ's Spirit also allows one to trust in Him. To trust that His death on the cross is the only way to salvation, that His sacrifice was for your sin. So I urge you to do this now. Repent and trust that uh, Jesus is the way of salvation. Pray that, you would, that He would give you His Spirit to enable you in this. Uh, why don't we pray now, shall we? Dear God, uh, we come before you all as uh, people who have sinned against you, uh, people that uh, have twisted your order of creation. We've stumbled in many ways. Uh, but God, you are a gracious God and a loving God, and you came down and humbled yourself to be like us of the dust of this earth, and you came to die a gruesome death for us to pay the fine that uh, we owe for our sins. So we thank you for this. And uh, God, please, uh, yeah, give us your spirit uh, so that we may uh, repent of our sin and put our trust in you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.